Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it indeed instructs us and guides us in the way we should go and the things that we should do, the things that we should know and believe, and also in the way that the church should be structured so as to bring glory to you. We thank you for the gift of elders and pray that you would today help us to see that role in in a more proper light. Help us to understand the duties of the elder better, the responsibilities undertaken by those who are in that office, and the way that they point to you and to your glory. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've heard the word of God. We've heard what it has to say about elders here in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And and as is the case with any passage of scripture, really, we, we can respond in one of two different ways. One way is simply to ignore it or reject it, to say, not for me, I pass. Now, for those who are here in our midst, who trust in Christ Jesus, who believe that he is the living word and that the Old and New Testament are the written word of God. This is not an option. We trust, as as A.A. Hodge put it, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, having been given by inspiration of God, are the all-sufficient and only rule for faith and practice. They are indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. They guide us in all that we are to do. So simply saying, not for me, I ignore, I reject, this is not an option for us. So instead we must choose to accept what the word of God has to say and shape our lives by it, both our lives as individuals and our life as a church. But we might still ask questions about it. Perhaps we look at the word of God and we accept it for what it is, but we ask questions like, why? Why? And and what does it really matter? Not that we're rejecting it, not that we think that God doesn't have any reasons, but, but we want to better understand what his reasons are for giving us these directives so that we might better know him and better know his will for us. And that's what I kind of want to do today as we look at this text. I want to ask the overarching question as we've read these qualifications for elders, who elders are supposed to be. Why does it matter? Why does God say that these qualifications should be present in the lives of elders? Why can't we just kind of pick whoever and just let it be? There are good answers for these questions and so we Look at God's word today. It starts off by saying in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. And that's a phrase that we find five times, actually, in the pastoral epistles, the letters of Paul to Timothy and Titus. It's interesting to note what the other things are that he says are trustworthy sayings. In 1 Timothy 1, he says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That's a pretty important statement being made there. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's an important statement. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. This is an important saying. And then finally in Titus 3, we see that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We see all these other places where Paul says this is a trustworthy saying, and they're all pretty important sayings, aren't they? That's not just trite, trivial matters that he's talking about. And so it is here as well. We can rightly understand, we can rightly infer that what he is saying here about elders is very important. It is not just a trivial matter. What he says here, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, One translation of this term, noble task, might be a good work. Now, Now, when we look at the phrase good works in the Bible, there's two different phrases that are used to to describe that are translated as good works. Uh, One of them, the the Greek word that stands behind good is agathe. And that's the one that's most common, actually, as we look at good works throughout the Bible. But but here we have a different word that's used to describe good, translated as good. It's the word kale. And, And it's not used quite as often, but it has a little bit different twist on it that is pretty important to us here today. See, we got our word calligraphy from the same word. Uh, grapho means the verb to, to write. And calligraphy is, is beautiful writing. And this idea of good works from, from the word calais is beautiful works, if you will. They're, they're works that, that are adorned in beauty. They are, are wonderful to behold. As we just look at just a few of the other places where this phrase is used in Scripture, Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Or 1 Timothy 5, 25, which says, So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Finally, Titus 2, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. You see, the idea that stands behind these good works is not just that they are, are good in value, which they are certainly good in value, but, but in general, the idea is that they are, they are beautiful to behold. You know, it, it's said sometimes, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? And I guess the, the same thing could be said of, of something that's beautiful. If, if something is absolutely beautiful, but nobody sees it, is it really beautiful? Doesn't it have to be seen to have beauty? And so it is with these works. These works are, are beautiful works because they are seen by people. They are observed by people. And so it is with the works of the elder. The works of the elder are to be seen, not to generate uh, 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 a respect for them necessarily, not to build them up as, as people who are supposed to go around, hey, look at me, look at me. Not at all that. But rather that they are setting an example for the congregation. They are setting an example of how one is to follow Christ Jesus. And so it is that we follow them and we consider how it is that we might follow them in serving God.
We need to understand that this phrase, though, means more than just this. It's not just that it's good in value, not just that it's good in beauty. There's a a deeper understanding that we can gain from what Paul is trying to say here. John Calvin makes the point that when he says that these works are are kalon or kale, Calvin says, I have no doubt that he alludes to the ancient Greek proverb often quoted by Plato. You know, you know the one he's talking about, right? No, you don't know the one. I didn't know either. He says, the ancient Greek proverb often quoted by Plato, duskola takala, which means those things which are excellent are also arduous and difficult. And thus he unites difficulty with excellency. And, or rather he argues that, argues thus, that it does not belong to every person to discharge the office. So he says that these tasks, these works that the elder must do, are to be beautiful works, they are to be valuable works, but they are difficult works, they are arduous works. It is not to be an easy job to be an elder. Calvin goes on to say these words, words that made me shudder when I heard them. He says, It is no light matter to be a representative of the Son of God. In discharging an office of such magnitude, the object of which is to erect and extend the kingdom of God, to procure the salvation of souls, which the Lord himself hath purchased with his own blood, and to govern the church, which is God's inheritance. If you're on session right now and you heard me say that, I imagine your reaction is somewhat like mine. It is to be humbled, somewhat shaken, for that is a mighty task. The office of an overseer or an old elder is a difficult task, one that can only be ably done by the grace of God. And because of its arduous nature, as Calvin said, not just anyone can fulfill it. An elder has to have certain qualifications, and we've, we've looked at some of those here in First Timothy. I want to look, kind of grouping them into different categories. And first of all, we see that the role of an elder is the role of a shepherd. Last year, when we ordained and installed elders, I preached from First Peter chapter 5 where we read so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you that is the primary responsibility of an elder it is to shepherd the flock of God the sheep that are members of God's flock are to be shepherded by the elders and what does a shepherd do with a flock? Well, first of all, a shepherd feeds the flock. The flock needs to have food, needs to be sustained. And so he feeds the flock. And that's why at the end of verse 2 of our text today, it says that an elder must be able to teach. 
You know, all these qualifications and disqualifications that are mentioned here in 1 Timothy 3, uh, generally, they're, they're really, for the most part, all true of all Christians, aren't they? Uh, you know, there, there are things that are said here, and, and you read through them, and you, you see, you know, be respectable and hospitable and not a drunkard, and all these things. You say, yeah, that really applies to all of us. Now, I think what it's saying is that, that the elder is supposed to be exemplary of all these things, but the one that stands out as being specific to elders is that idea that an elder is to be able to teach. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. What he's talking about there, when he's talking about feeding them, He's talking about teaching them, of course. He's talking about teaching them the truths of the gospel. He's talking about teaching them true and right doctrine. And what he's saying is that, that your, your, as he talks to the church in Corinth, he says your, your understanding was such that you were not able to move on to the more advanced things. I needed to feed you these basic things. I needed to teach you the basic things. Much the same as we feed a baby milk and don't have them start off right, out, right away at steak. And so it is that, that this teaching we see throughout the word of God is, is used as, as feeding. That's kind of the idea behind it. And so as we feed the sheep of God, we are to teach. That is uh, what is part of the responsibilities of the elder. One of the places that we see this specifically is in Acts 6, which is the passage we mentioned last week is kind of the, the beginnings of diaconal ministry in the church. Uh, we, we know that the Hebrew, um, the, the Hebrews or the Hellenists uh, had a complaint against the Hebrews that, that their widows weren't getting uh, as much food in the daily disbursement of food to them, and they said to the elders, you need or to the apostles, you need to do something to take care of this. And the apostles said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the world. word. That is, that is the responsibility to feed the flock with the word of God, to nourish their souls with teaching this word. In Titus 1, verse 9, says, there's this instruction. An elder must hold firm to trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. To care for the flock. Another way they care for the flock is to feed them, but they also... To, to pray for them, to take care of their various needs and all the ways that are necessary. In James 5, we see if anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. They are to, to pray, they are to go before God on behalf of the people of God and pray for them in the midst of their illness, in the midst of their troubles, in the midst of their difficulties. I, I, I tell you this, this Tuesday night, the session will meet and a significant portion of our meeting will be spent as it always is, 
praying for the needs of this congregation, the needs of the congregation as a whole, but then also the specific needs of those people who are members of this congregation. It's something that we do together, and it's something that elders do on their own as well. They, they spend time praying for the members of this congregation, for the needs that they face, the difficulties that they have in their lives, and just for their spiritual well-being as a whole. They're to care for them in this way and in others that when there are needs that need to be met, as we saw in Acts 6 there, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be the ones that fulfill those needs, that take care of them. Perhaps they hand those needs over to the diaconate who takes care of those needs. And our diaconate does a wonderful job of, of taking care of the physical needs often and sometimes the spiritual needs as well of our congregation. The session at times will will see that there are these needs and they will contact the diaconate and say, there's this need and and the diaconate will spring into action. It's the responsibility of the session, though, of the elders to see that this gets taken care of. So they are to feed the flock. They are to care for the flock. They are to guard the flock as shepherds. Remember the story about David? Remember David when he was just just a boy and And the people of God were off fighting against the Philistines and the giant Goliath was taunting the people of God and nobody would stand up to him. And David said, I'll do it. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, but you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. But what did David say to Saul? Do you remember? In 1 Samuel 17, he said, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. He he used to be a shepherd, he says. And what did he do when he was a shepherd? He says, when there came a a lion or a a bear, they took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. You see, David knew that a shepherd's job is to guard the flock. And so it is that elders are to guard the flock as well. Now, what dangers are they that the elders are to guard the flock from? Well, primarily, I would say, from false teaching, from false doctrine as it seeps into the church. It always, for all time, is a danger that we need to be vigilant against. That false teaching won't creep into the church. Paul said in Acts 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And so... You see, an elder's responsibility is to make sure that it is right teaching that is always present, that there is sound doctrine within the church. And so there's such things as the, the books that go into the libraries or the curricula that, that the Sunday school have, those types of things. Of course, ultimately the session has to make sure that it is, it is appropriate, that it is proper, that it is sound doctrine that is being taught there. But there's another place that the session is responsible and The session is ultimately responsible to make sure that the teaching that comes out of this pulpit right here is sound doctrine. You see, I'm not, as the pastor of this church, in charge. I'm not 
the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. I stand up and I've been charged with the responsibility of teaching this congregation from the word of God week by week by week. And it is a, a, a privilege to do so. It is a responsibility, a duty, a privilege. But ultimately, I'm not the arbiter of what is right and wrong. Ultimately, it's the session that has to determine whether or not I'm preaching truth whether it is sound doctrine that is emanating from this pulpit. And if there is a day when I am teaching something that is not right, then the session not only has the right to confront me, but it has the responsibility to confront me. It is the duty of the session at that point to say, you know what, Pete, I think you are wrong in what you are saying. And so it is that they need to know that, that they have not only that right, but that responsibility. They need to be guarding the flock. And that's why it's so important what's said in verse 2 here. Verse 2 of our text today, elders are supposed to be sober-minded and self-controlled. And in verse 3 it says they're not to be quarrelsome and not violent but gentle. You see, we, we all know people, don't we, that are quarrelsome and and, and not very gentle, that are contentious and, and not sober-minded, not self-controlled. And they're just always looking for an argument. And they, no matter what you say, you know, up is up and down is down. And they say, no, you're wrong. And they come at you all the time. And no matter what, what it is, you know, the, the sky is blue, grass is green. No, it's not. It's, you know, some other color. I, you know, and, and, and they just are looking for a fight. They're just looking for an argument. And God's word tells us here that elders are not to be that way. You see, you see, if they are that way, and then they come to somebody and say, you know, you're wrong with your teaching, what's your response going to be? I, I know in my heart, and probably in yours, if somebody like that comes to you and corrects you, you're just going to assume, that's just, that's just what's his name being what's his name. You know, he's just always, always finding fault, always arguing, always wanting to get in a fight. Just kind of blow them off. But if instead it is someone who is self-controlled, who is sober-minded, who is gentle, who is not quarrelsome, and they come to you and they say, you know, I think you are off base there. Then that should cause you to pause and say, well, maybe they have something. Maybe I need to re-examine this. Maybe I need to humbly consider what they are saying now, this is hard to do. It's hard to confront people. It's hard to guard against falsehood. It was hard for David to go after the lion and the bear. But that's the role of a shepherd. To realize that sheep are important. They need to be protected. And to model ourselves after the good shepherd, Christ Jesus. In John ten eleven, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Elders need to be willing to lay down their life for the sheep. Just as Jesus laid down his life for us. You see, you see, when he died on the cross, it was not for anything he had done, but because of our sins, because of our shortcomings, because of our broken relationship with God. He paid the penalty for our sins. 
And he was willing to do that. It wasn't that they, they caught him, they trapped him, and, and somehow he, he ended up with his plan getting messed up and he didn't get to teach any. It wasn't any of that. Nobody took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. He was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And so must the elders of this church as shepherds. The role of elder is a role of shepherd. It's also a role of authority. We need to understand that as members of the church. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, it speaks of the elders. It says, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. See, it says that elders rule. That's what they do. It also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord admonish you. You see, the role of elder is one of authority. They govern. They, they are authorities, and we need to submit to those authorities. For they govern and lead the church. And that's why, as it said in verse 4 and 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church it's a principle that we see throughout scripture isn't it that that if we're entrusted with little and we do well then we might be entrusted with more but if we are not able to show that we are faithful with little why should we get more it's not just in scripture it's really common sense isn't it you know our our son jack just just is starting to learn how to drive now he's 15 years old he's got his permit and he comes to me dad i I want to go practice driving. And so the, the very first time, I didn't just throw him the keys and say, okay, uh, take off, go wherever you want, do whatever you want. To. No. I took him to a big, empty parking lot in our old car. <laughs> right? And we drove around in circles. <laughs> and after we had that down, we, we practiced turning to the left instead of turning to the right. You know, and, and we got that down, and as he became more and more accustomed, then we moved on eventually to just driving through our subdivision. And eventually, as he showed he was worthy of the responsibility, he was entrusted with more responsibility. And we drove on the roads throughout the neighborhood around our subdivision. And, and with each step, you know, eventually you give a little bit more and a little bit more. You're entrusted with more when you prove to be faithful with less. And so it is with elders as a position of leadership and of governing. Elders need to show that they can govern in the small spheres that they're responsible for, their family, in order to be able to lead in the larger things, the church. You know, we we often have problems with authorities, don't we? It's kind of our nature, I know. I tend to resist authority (laughs) sometimes. I think that I know the way to do it. But, but we need to realize that this is a role of authority. God ordained authority. And we should submit to it. It's also a role of humility. Even though it is authority, it's a role of humility. It's not a dictator's position. We need to understand that. A dictator is a person who rules with totality. They stand by themselves. No other input. That's not the job of an elder. Elders are always uh, a plurality of elders in the Bible. When Paul teaches people, he says, appoint elders, plural. And so it is that, that elders 
are a body and they submit to one another and to the whole body. We're to see that this ex, they exercise oversight, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you and not for shameful gain but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, that's similar to what we see here. Not a lover of money, not pursuing their own gain because it's not about yourself. Being an elder isn't about, about being self-directed but rather it's about the glory of God and the bride of Christ. You're to be hospitable, we read. You see, once again, this is not thinking about yourself. You know, we think of hospitality, we think of having the friends over for dinner. Biblical hospitality really isn't, isn't so much that. That's really called entertaining. Hospitality is when at cost to yourself, you open up your home or you show a welcoming to people who perhaps you don't even know or perhaps you're not as close with when you you want to provide them with something they need. And so it is that, that hospitality is not about yourself. It is humility that's involved there. See, because humility is not, uh, C.S. Lewis said it best probably. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's a great quote. Think about it. It's not just saying, oh, I'm a worm, I'm terrible. But it's just not thinking about yourself. It's thinking about others first. That's what true humility is. And so it is, we, we in this role of humility, must not be a, a recent convert, we read in verse 6, or you may become puffed up with conceit, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Again, Jesus Christ is our example here, isn't he? He who set aside all his glory, who considered not the, the glory that was rightly his, but set it aside and took on human flesh and died the most ignominious of deaths, even the death of the cross. It was not convenient for him. It was not easy for him. But it was what we needed. And so Jesus is our example as elders. It is a role of leadership by example. Just quickly, elders should be the chief prayers of our congregation. They should be the chief servers of our congregation. And they should be the chief repenters of our congregation. Repenting of sin, turning away from sin and toward God. And one more thing I'd like to mention in closing. Elders, the role of elders is a role of outreach to the world. See, it says in verse 7, they must be thought of well by outsiders, which echoes what he said in verse 2. They need to be above reproach. They need to be respectful. And I I think we even see, in a sense, this idea of outreach to the world, and what it says that he should be the husband of one wife. You see, that that phrase there literally means he's a one-woman kind of man. He's he's faithful in his marriage in, in that sense. Ephesians 5, we see that marriage is a picture of the relationship that Christ has with the church. And so each and every one of us, whether we're an elder or not, in our marriage, we are making statements about Christ and his bride. We are are giving testimony about the gospel. Either it is true testimony or it is false testimony. An elder must give right 
testimony for the world needs the gospel. The world needs the gospel. Sometimes we think, oh, I have my own thing, right? So somebody might say, I have, I have my own religious beliefs and they work fine for me. After all, aren't, aren't all these different religions just different paths up the mountain to the same top of the mountain? No, they're not. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. See, some, some roads don't lead to the top of the mountain. They lead to a cliff. Some of them lead to a dead end. Jesus is the only path that leads to the top of the mountain. And so you must believe in him if you are to be saved. There is no other path. And the elders must lead in this declaration through both their words and through their life. And so we see that the role as an elder is one of a shepherd, one of authority, one of humility, one of leadership by example, and one of outreach to the world. These are serious responsibilities. And because of this, the elders must seek the Lord's strength, and they must covet you as a congregation, your support. Submit to your elders, knowing the weight of the burden of the task that they have taken on for you. Commit yourself to following Christ faithfully that their task might be easier. And above all, pray for your elders that we might all glorify God in the establishment and extension of his kingdom here at Calvary Presbyterian Church. Amen. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, these things we've thought about today point us to the fact that there are jobs that that we certainly cannot do on our own. We need your guidance. We need your strength. We need your support. And we need you to lead us. May you do that today and every day that we might bring you honor and glory, that the glory might not be our own, but yours. And may we have the strength to lead as followers following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.